Super Talk Mississippi media production. Taylor Swift is coming to New Orleans, and Margaritaville Resort Biloxi and Super Talk are giving away a free pair of tickets. For your chance to win, go register now at Margaritaville Resort Biloxi and get your name in for the final drawing from Margaritaville and Super Talk 103.1. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to midday super talk mississippi i'm your host gerard gibbert along with rhino in the element wealth studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts fodder and fine music on this friday y'all the day after the hugely successful super talk mississippi radiothon palmer home for children Radiothon. What a good day we had yesterday, Rhino. And we got your hair cut and your beard has been chopped off and you look about 12. (laughs) (laughs) It's a pretty big swing now that I got gray in my beard. (laughs) That's true. But uh, we had a good day yesterday. We have to be pleased. What was the final tally? 367K, I believe, right? Yeah, about... 500 more than that, too, so it was a little over 367. Okay. Set a record? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Set a new record. Everybody uh, did just a fantastic job in orchestrating the Radiothon and, of course, our, our great lineup of talent, hosts, and producers that uh, brought home the bacon. And behind the scenes, though, we got to point out, a lot of folks involved in pulling that deal off. It's a lot of work uh, that I don't think our audience is aware of. But uh, great job. Great work by all. And it's it's just so heartwarming to see the children. When they come in for lunch, as you indicated, politely lining up, for the lunch and then sitting down at the table with the with each other and with the staff at the Palmer home and, and seeing hugs among the group, it just makes you feel good. It makes you know that it's for a great cause, that the funding, then the money we raise on that one day for Palmer home is certainly being put to good use, taking care of vulnerable children, giving them hope. Safety, health, recovery, many times setting them on a path to success. The young man we interviewed yesterday that is headed to Northwest to study criminal justice and aspires to work for the Shelby County, Tennessee Sheriff's Department, wants to be an investigator. Already got that figured out. And he, of course, is guided by the staff. At Palmer Homes, setting him on a path for success as an adult. That's what it's all about. 
So good to see that. Uh, an uneventful travel day for me up there and back in one day. You too? Or did you stay? I was there the night before, yeah. Okay. But I did come back last night. And um, always fun traveling across the great state of Mississippi and seeing the beautiful landscape this time of year. So green. Parts of our state doused with lots of rain, though, right? Yeah, it was uh, 13 inches in Louisville and Ackerman. Yeah. And like in a 12-hour period. Shorter than that. Shorter than that. Okay. Maybe I got 12 inches in six hours. Maybe that's what the figures were. It was a whole lot of water. Man, that's a little unusual. pictures of cars with water up to their windows. Yeah. Wow. Crazy stuff. Uh, more rain, I think, in schedule for us uh, today, on schedule for us today, depending on your part of the state. I don't think quite to the extent we experienced yesterday. Our next uh, road show, remote, the Neshoba County Fair. That coming up in less than two weeks. Not next week, but the following Wednesday and Thursday, we will be on the fairgrounds. That would be July the 26th and 27th. Then we have an open week. And then it's go to the polls and cast your ballot. August the 8th, the day that we will do that. Primary elections right around the corner. What are we seeing? Things heating up a little bit? Seems like it. Even though the general election is still four months away, a little more than four months away. Democratic candidate for governor, Brandon Presley, seems to be totally focused on health care in the state of Mississippi. He's been issuing press releases where he's discussing the state of health care and certain events related to that. He has announced what is called a health care professional's for Presley organization. That's following the announcement of what he describes as his historic health care plan. I don't know that I would call it historic. And honestly, I couldn't glean from the four-point plan anything that I thought would materially change the state of health care in the state of Mississippi. He did issue a statement Wait, so you're saying a Democrat's claiming that they're historic <laughs> while actually not doing diddly squat? Shocking. I know. Say it ain't so. <laughs> I know. He did, uh, he did issue a press release yesterday, a statement on North Mississippi Medical Center, which just laid off several people. How many? Like 300? Is that right? It was it was a, a decent number. And he goes all over his uh, he's in goes into that I should say in his press release said while Tate Reeves twiddles his thumbs <laughs> Mississippi's healthcare system is burning to the ground. In 2 days alone we've learned of one hospital closing that's KPC Promise in Vicksburg. And another is experiencing layoffs. Tate Reeves is glaringly absent. 
My heart goes out to the employees who've lost their jobs amid awful economic times. Many are my neighbors and friends in northeast Mississippi. Unlike Tate Reeves, I care about those families and patients who've lost access to health care. Oh, okay. Um, but his plan, however, I think, lacks meaningful substance. And I know you don't you, say. <laughs> it's a complicated issue. It just is. And uh, he is seems to believe, just based on the press releases and the rhetoric coming out of the Presley campaign, that uh, really promoting the state of health care and the various events pertaining thereto, such as hospital closure, laying off staff at a major medical center, is an effective political strategy. And, of course, attaching those events to the present governor. And the problem I have with that is that just basically says, look, the health care industry is in dire straits in the state of Mississippi, and that's because of the governor. Yeah, so, uh, you know, and Thomas Greenwood, of course, once again, totally focused on the expansion of Medicaid. I say again, Thomas, when are you going to request of your reps and senator to draft legislation that would pull Mississippi out of Medicaid? That's what we got to do, right, Thomas? We've got to pull out of Medicaid because Medicaid by definition, is bad since Medicaid expansion is bad. I'm serious about this, folks. I'm dead serious about this. This is not a promotion for Medicaid expansion. Expansion. It's a call for consistency. I believe that a hallmark of principled people is that they are consistent. So those that oppose Medicaid expansion have got to also oppose Medicaid, in my view. Because, because of the reasons they cite for opposition of expansion. I think I'd have to disagree at least somewhat. Okay. Because the expansion of Medicaid is providing welfare to able-bodied working adults. Right. Whereas the rest of Medicaid is providing a helping hand to those that cannot do for themselves. Right. If you're able-bodied and, a, and of the age to work then it's really on you to find employment that can provide for your health care. Right. I, um, I, I, I'll explain why I disagree with that when we come back on the other side of the break here. We're in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. Keeps Mississippi talking. 
Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it on Super Talk Mississippi. studio also need to share that today is my sweet mother's birthday she would have been 97 today passed away in 1987 I was uh, never forget as you normally don't when you learn of that I know you've been through that I was in Savannah Georgia my company was a little over a year old, and that's back in the days when I literally was the chief cook and bottle washer, so to speak. Not unusual for an entrepreneur. I would uh, put the suit on and do demonstrations of technology and sell it. And then, to the surprise of the customer, once we got all the gear in and went on site doing all the configuration that I did in the office, I'd show up in the blue jeans and pull the cable and solder the ends on them. Didn't have pre-terminated cables back then. And uh, connect all the gear up, all the workstations to the server. In this case, this was a Unix-based system. <laughs> and then come back the next day and, and teach folks uh, how to operate the accounting system. This was for a customer that had a connection in Mississippi, believe it or not, called Ocean Coatings. Weird how I can remember that. And they manufactured, produced paint, literally, for naval vessels, specialized hmm. paint for naval vessels. And it's in Savannah, where there's, I think you've got a big Coast Guard base, if I'm not mistaken, in Savannah. And I was literally, no cell phones back then, I was literally on the floor in the main offices where the operational staff were positioned and had that uh, had that tower Unix-based system in pieces, <laughs> installing boards in it and connecting cables and disk drives and the like before we went on to the software implementation. And... There was a call to the office there, and it was my wife, and I got on the phone. She told me that my mother had passed away, and I had to unfortunately put everything together and get on an airplane and head home. But, you know, it's things you don't forget. Oh, yeah. Uh, 1987, Savannah, Georgia, came home. But I sure do miss her, for sure. She was uh, a sweet, beautiful lady, and uh, I know you've dealt with that pain as well. Hard to believe it's been that long. Wow. So um, back to this Medicaid discussion. Look, it, it is it is complicated, and it's um, there are many moving parts to it, shall we say. So keep in mind that, to your point, you said the difference is this would be able-bodied adults. That's right. That's what expansion would cover, who, who do have income. The problem is they don't have sufficient income to afford 
health care coverage. Now, that's subjective. I certainly agree. But just so folks will know who qualifies for expansion or individuals whose income is below or sits right at about $20,000 a year. 20000 Now, you and I have talked about this. You're aware, I know, that the cost of individual coverage nowadays, on average, seven, eight hundred bucks a month. So you're looking at almost half their income going to health insurance. It's pretty hard to make that work because you've got housing, food. I mean, just if you didn't have anything else, just a roof over your head and food, it'd make it pretty hard, honestly, to afford insurance. So then what happens is they just don't have it. We have 220,000 thought to be eligible for Medicaid under expansion in the state of Mississippi, but we have a much larger uh, component of our population, about twice that, that has no insurance. They may not be eligible for Medicaid. They just choose not to have it for various reasons. Could be affordability. Could be they think they're young and they just don't feel the need. And I know a lot of young people. You went through that decision. I, I did as well at that age. I don't need that. I don't get sick. I'm in my 20s and so forth. And back then, you know, it wasn't 60 bucks a month. But that was a lot. When uh, you're making, as I was, 16000 a year when I first got out of school. So the question is, okay, then what do we do? How do we handle this population? Do we just tell them, I'm sorry, you got to die? We're not going to do that. MTALA, the law signed by President Ronald Reagan, which requires emergency rooms to, quote, stabilize patients that are presented to the emergency room. They ain't generally going to a primary care clinic because they're going to turn them away. You can't pay. You've got no insurance. Who was it? Tim from Tupelo the other day told us he has insurance. One of the plans sold in the uh, Obamacare exchanges in Mississippi, there are five carriers, and, and I think... As I recall, Rhino, he told us he lives in Tupelo. He needed an EKG. He didn't have, there's no physician, no clinic around the Tupelo area that accepts his coverage. He drove, he traveled to Oxford only to learn that he was going to have to pay out of pocket, what, $600, and he turned around and went home. And that's just because even with subsidized coverage in the exchange, you still have a deductible responsibility. You may have a copay responsibility. And a lot of people just don't have the the uh, liquidity to do that. And so the clinic says, well, if you can't pay that, we ain't doing an EKG. They can do that, by the way. ERs cannot under MTALA if they are in the Medicare program, which virtually all are. So that's the problem. Uh, What is the solution to that? Just saying, no, we can't expand Medicaid, I get that. I understand the the logic behind that. It's expanding government. It's uh, more welfare, more dependency. I understand all those arguments. Some still say, even 10 years later, well, the government may flake out on us, may wilt on us, the federal government, and not continue to pay for 90% of expansion, which is law. I find that to be an extremely low, if not virtually impossible, risk. And the reason I say that is because 38 states, 
39 now have expanded and the federal government's not going to not going to give the finger to 39 states they're just not going to do it that unless would, sugar turns to another substance and they have to yeah well then we have the same risk with base medicaid they could they could wilt on us on base medicaid and by the way the only way either of those two situations can happen is with 60 votes in the senate that ain't gonna happen just don't see that happening anytime soon by the way the last state to expand medicaid signed into law by conservative darling christy known from the the great state of south dakota they just did it i found that a little interesting honestly uh so the question is okay how do we handle this population it, it, I don't think there's any question. We've, we've got people that have told us about their personal stories, scenarios, where I just couldn't afford it. Somebody else said, yeah, I looked at the coverage. I, I think they have employer-provided coverage, but they just passed on it because of the expense. And by the way, I just heard a report this morning that health care costs are expected to rise by another 7% over the next 12 months. It's just a man. It's just a hard, hard deal. Uh, I have proposed. You may have heard me the other day. Just kind of a radical idea, I guess, which is to allow private employers to add the uninsured to their uh, group coverage roles, even though they don't work there. Just as a, just as a, a form of just aid to the community, if you will, just a gesture. Give give those employers a small tax credit for um, their absorption of those costs. That would, of course, require the carriers that provide, that write the insurance, to allow non-employees to be on their rolls, which would be crazy radical, I know. But I still believe that if you look at the 30 million people in this country without coverage, including, I think it's 400,000, if I'm not mistaken, Mississippi, we we were at the top, um, that we could somehow fit them in, plug them in to the private companies. Here's an idea. Why don't you quit spending all that stupid money on this DEI crap and reallocate that, repurpose that money to give people something that really helps, that could help society rather than DEI, which doesn't help society, which uh, in effect is racism. We're going to talk about a move by some state's attorney generals, by the way, as it pertains to the private sector's adoption and, and application of DEI and, honestly, racial discrimination in their hiring practices. But these are, these are complicated issues, and uh, we're coming right back. With Gerard Gibbert. Welcome, welcome to our show on Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, now you have a good one.
Ain't that the truth? Ball of confusion. <laughs> on the ceasefire text line. By the way, that's 601-879-4395 on the program today. Caleb Sailors, multimedia journalist, Super Talk Mississippi News at 1120. Ashley Edwards at 1205, coastal Mississippi entrepreneur, former Mississippi, uh, former president and CEO of Gulf Coast Business Council and Super Talk Mississippi News column contributor. Happy birthday to your mother in heaven. May she always watch over you. Thank you very much. Today, as I announced earlier, is... The birthday of my mother, she would have been 97 years old. Her name was Marie Vienna Furman Gibbert. Vienna was her middle name. By the way, that is my daughter's middle name, taken from my mother. I happen to think my daughter favors her somewhat. I think my son favors my mother's father. You never know how all that stuff works. Oh, yeah. Kind of cool. Tim and McGee wants to know if Thomas ever... Texted yesterday or helped us out with the Palmer home. I didn't see anything, so I, but I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. Paula and Hernando says, I'm here from the government, and uh, I'm from the government, and I am here to make things complicated. I mean, health care is crazy complicated, and, it, and it's, um, I think, primarily a function of the fact that there are so many parties, so many participants in the transactions. And that just convolutes the living daylights out of it, and it makes it kind of hard to follow. Honestly, it is crazy. Um, Let's see. Ben from Madison, yep. little concerning that Biden has activated 3,000 reserve troops. I feel like it's past time to de-escalate the situation in Ukraine, and I know the Warhawks in D.C. want nothing to do with the de-escalation. I, I guess the question, Ben, is what does that mean exactly? Quit providing assets? Quit providing funding? Certainly the situation with um, Europe is a little little disconcerting, little little problematic, and I think the view of a lot of people. I'm more concerned about this guy's ability to function as commander-in-chief, honestly. You're seeing more and more calls, even from Democrats, for him to strongly consider bowing out of the 24 race. I think Gavin Newsom is poised to jump on in there, and he'll be be tough to beat. I mean, he just will. He's He's a formidable competitor. He'll, he's tough to beat because right they're all Democrats are, because right off the bat, from an electoral college vote perspective, they're well on their way before you ever cast the first ballot. It's because you can count on the big blue states that have lots of population and and thus much representation in the Congress, and and that's how electoral votes are determined. It's based on your number of uh, folks representing your state in the House and Senate. We have six, not very many. Uh, Let's see, I haven't looked at California in a while, but that's the first one that comes to mind. It's got to be 53, 54, something like that. Um, New York's up there. Of course, New York's kind of countered by Florida, then Texas, provided those go red. But, man, you take California, what do you see? 53, 54? 55. 55, okay. With 29 in New York. Wow. 
Right, 29. I think Florida, it's it's close to that number as well. I believe Florida. Yeah, Florida's 29 as well. Yeah, okay. Texas may have a few more. It may be second behind. Yeah, Texas is 38. Okay. Then you got Illinois up there. You can pretty much count on it to be blue. At 20. There you go. Um, Pennsylvania is also 20. A, a so-called swing state. I think you would have to look at that, certainly because it went for Trump in 16. Then you look at New Jersey and Connecticut, Delaware, Rhode Island, Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, Massachusetts. Massachusetts is what, 10, 12? 11. 11. There you go. <laughs> right between the 10, 12. And then, of course, out west, not a whole lot, but Washington, Oregon. Point is, they pretty much start with, uh, what, almost 200, I think 270 required to win, right? 270, yeah, he's shaking his head. So they, they teed up with 200 before you've contested the race, honestly. And I, I say that because what are the chances of any of those states I just listed, Pennsylvania being the exception, going in the red column? Not very good. Um, Michigan, of course, now swing state. Georgia, now swing state. Which both of those are sitting at 16 apiece. Yeah, big states. Uh, North Carolina is a bit of a swing state. What's he got, 10? 15. Yeah, that's bigger than I thought. So you, you get the picture, though, and that's uh, the way the Electoral College shapes up, and that's why it's so important for a Republican to have any chance they got to carry, other than the red states, you know, that are going in that column, such as those in the South, you've got to you've got to get Pennsylvania. you got to get Michigan. you got to get Georgia now, which did not go last time. you got to get Arizona. It's become, it used to be reliably red, it's become a swing state. Uh, now, it doesn't have as many votes, six, eight, something like that. Which one? Arizona. Uh, they've got 11. 11, okay. Well, you know what? It's benefited from the exodus of California to a great extent, which has increased its population, and thus in the last census. Uh, but that's a little more. But I guess I should have thought about that. Phoenix, the metropolitan area, is pretty populated. It's a pretty big area, a couple million people. So, yeah, I agree with you, though, Ben. It's, um, it is a concern. And... Let's see. When the economy completely collapses, there will be no programs left to fund, says Mose. Well, that's certainly a concern. You know, and, and just on the subject of health care, I know we've shared this before, but Medicare is an example. We've got in this country about 50 million people on Medicare who've paid into Medicare during their working years. At the age of 65, they're eligible for Medicare benefits. And the reality is, right now, today, the Medicare, the contributions from current employees which fund, and the employer match, which fund Medicare outflow, Medicare benefits, that plus the Interest on the trust fund, which has been accumulated on Medicare, that's just in the years where where the incoming contributions, revenue into the program, exceeded outgoing expense benefits. There's some interest on that. 
But that trust fund is dwindling, as everybody knows, scheduled to be totally broke in just five years, in 2028. But the reality is about 40% over the last decade or so, about 40% of total Medicare expenses have been covered by, essentially subsidized by, income taxes. Really not even income taxes, debt. It is a key driver of our debt. By the way, expenses in Medicare last year to this year, up 11%. No end in sight. Why? We're living longer. More people are retiring, entering the phase of the program where they become a beneficiary. No longer a contributor. And this mismatch in this pay-as-you-go defined benefit program that is Medicare is the root cause of why it's about to go broke. So you could uh, accurately state that income taxes, those who are not on Medicare, their income taxes are also plugging the budget gap because there's not enough money going into it from people working. Average Medicare beneficiary, last time I looked at this, a little less than a year ago, in the trust fund financial package, uh, the report, average Medicare beneficiary receives about $300,000 more in benefits than they paid in. And that's just because, as, as most people know, many of us incur the greatest amount of health care expenses through our lives in those final few months of life. You know the clip we played the other day of Robert Wright, who was portraying a a, um, a presidential candidate in this clip. He's addressing... A mythical creature, an honest politician. Yeah. He says, if, the, if a presidential candidate were to be honest, is what he said, truthful about health care, here's what he'd say. You young people got to have insurance, whether you like it or not. You got to pay. And you old people, once you get to kind of end of life... All that technology, all that expense that the government incurs through Medicare to keep you alive a few months, sorry, you can't have that. you got to die. I suspect there are a lot of people on the right that agree with that as well, and there's alignment between the communist Robert Reich and conservatives in that regard. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. Covering the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi. everyone to Middays from the Element Wealth Studio. Yes, uh, we had a question from Dwayne and Brandon. Did Rhino lose his hair? He sure did, and his beard, because we... Uh, we Well, I cut it. I didn't lose it. <laughs> I'm not going to be that mean to my hair. I don't want, to get up, don't want it to get up and walk off. You lost it at the hands 
of a <laughs> of a member of the staff there, right? Oh yeah, at Palmer Home. Yes, Gary Gary was still finishing up some behind the scenes work and hadn't quite made it to the Palmer Home yet, and they walked around and was like, "Anybody got any haircutting experience?" <laughs> you. And then she was she was trying to give me like an actual haircut and leave a whole lot up top, and I was like, "No, no, you got got to just go after it, take it all off." You of course supplied the tools. Oh yeah. So yes, he did. That's because we pierced the uh, the requirements, the donation figures that we sought for you to get your hair cut first. That was eighty k. Oh yeah, and then one hundred and fifty k means shaving of the beard, which we hit that in the first thirty minutes or so of sports talk. Yeah. And yeah, then it just took off like a rocket. Let's see. When when middays concluded, we were just above a hundred and five thousand something in that range, as I recall. At the I think end, it was of, more than that. It was okay. Maybe I, I didn't check. Okay, maybe I, I didn't check the final figure, but that's what I recall. And then I don't have my notes in front of me. And then it just kept flowing into Rebecca's show, sports talk, and ultimately we ended up at 367,000. By the way, Thomas did want to point out that he does give to Palmer Home that he was uh disposed yesterday at work. He says I give to Palmer Home regularly. I wasn't listening yesterday. I was tied up on bridges all day. Okay. Uh, so I I figured that something was going on when we didn't hear see him from uh, hear from him or see him. Uh let's see. Hey dad lost his beard as well. He did? Yeah, I had to leave my Clippers with him because he made a, a wager that if they broke $301,000 that he would shave off his beard. Okay. And they did. Okay. Well. So he did. So the bottom line is it was a success. That's oh, yeah. The most important thing is that the radio And the last song, segment was just wild. It was. With back-to-back $10,000 donations coming through in the last two minutes. I, uh, I shared... With the team here at Super Talk, that uh, a friend of mine lives two doors down. Mr. Guy White was kind enough to to uh, make a ten thousand dollar pledge, and he said he was inspired by listening to the programs to Super Talk. That that really touched his heart, and we're so grateful to him and everybody that uh, helped us out there. Gave a little of their treasure. So good. Oh, yeah. I mean, anybody from the, the dollar and a few cents donations all the way up to the mega donations of ten, fifteen, twenty-five, fifty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000, it all goes towards providing hope and love and a future for those kids. Right. I totally agree. So, uh, back to this health care thing. And the reason that came up is because Mr. Presley a Democratic candidate for governor is focusing on that. I, I don't know if that's an effective strategy or not. I don't know how big a deal that is to voters, where they kind of place that in their, in their priorities for governor. Haven't heard a great deal about that. I, I guess the things I hear the most about are, and, and most of this honestly comes from the lieutenant governor's race, because that is, from a primary perspective, the most contentious. I'm quite certain once the primaries are complete that we'll see the focus shift to the governor's race, where we've got two high-profile, fairly well-funded candidates, certainly the governor, with his nearly $10 million, and I think Mr. Presley is knocking on the door of $3 million. So they'll have money, is the point, 
to promote, advertise, campaign, etc. So you're going to hear a lot. The question is, will the National Democratic Party get involved? I don't know, and that's scary because that means, and this is something that I'm quite sure the governor will point out, is that if so, that would uh, pretty much assure that Mr. Presley would be beholden to the Democrat agenda. And I think uh, Governor Reeves will effectively call attention to that, as he should. We'll see where that goes. The Lieutenant I think Governor's the only race, thing standing in the way of that is Brandon Presley's historic pro-life stance on abortion. Yeah, he conflicts. And, and that may be a problem for the uh, national Democrats, who, of course, are all in pro-choice. And I've Although he's not campaigning on that. That's just from previous speeches and statements he's made. I've yet to see anything in his current campaign talking about or even mentioning abortion. I totally agree. Uh, what I have seen, however, is him really talk quite a bit about health care in the state of Mississippi and, and rolled out what his plan is for health care, which I only saw four points to the plan. We shared them with you the other day. They're fairly straightforward. I just don't think uh, e- either of those individually or combined truly do move the needle as far as addressing the fundamental problem. Coming right back after the news. Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply, to think deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back. It is hour two of middays from the Element Well Studio on this Friday, y'all. Yes, indeed, we are back. So uh, we got Caleb Sailors coming in in the next segment. Multimedia journalist, Super Talk Mississippi News. Ashley Edwards will join us at twelve oh five. He's a coastal Mississippi entrepreneur former president and CEO of the Gulf Coast Business Council, and, of course, a super top Mississippi news contributor. We're going to talk about all the crazy stuff happening in the world of social media. Wow, it's fun to watch those wars between uh, Zuckerberg and Elon Musk. Of course, Zuckerberg just recently announced his new Twitter-like platform, known as Threads. That's real creative. <laughs> and Elon Musk, of course, acquired Twitter, what, within a year, a year or so ago. And they're going at it. And uh, it's kind of interesting to watch. Back in the old IT days, I used to call that the elephant's ball, where they just kind of, you know, just imagine elephants dancing at each other and just wreaking havoc every time they raise and lower a, a foot. It's kind of what this is. There has been a bit of pushback or backlash or whatever you want to call it for threads because you had a lot of people that signed up just, oh, look, it's the new thing, until they realized you can't then delete your account on threads without deleting your Instagram account. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So they're they're leveraging 
the tools uh, for gain. Hey, that's great. That is capitalism, as far as I'm concerned. And I think the market benefits when you got these guys going at it like that. It'll uh, force a little competitive threat into Twitter. And Twitter, of course, will, I think, have to respond. And that then will, in turn, make Zuckerberg and his threats platform continuously improve. That's the way the market works. Although I don't really see Zuckerberg taking the step that Twitter just took, where they're now allowing revenue sharing. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. It's a little little different model, financial model. It's in play there. So the, uh, the high court, of course, that ruled against affirmative action for college admissions, at least those colleges that accept federal funding, You knew that this was going to be a pivotal decision in that, gee, I wonder how this might apply to the private sector. Now, the ruling does not. There's really no authority on the part of the Supreme Court. And the case wasn't about that. So just to, to, uh, I guess, universally apply that ruling in our country beyond just the scope of college admissions, and again, colleges that accept federal money. Beyond that, none your business from the federal government. However, there are, I believe, 13 attorney generals, state attorney generals, who are seeking, in fact, to change that situation and are seeking... Uh, to force private companies to follow the Supreme Court ruling disallowing race-based admissions. And so what they want to do is force these, these companies to discontinue the use of race in their hiring practices. Now, I've railed on this for quite some time. And it's, by the way, it ain't just hiring. It's promotion, it's job assignment, it's compensation. Um, I, I think it's, I think it's wrong, honestly. I don't um, I don't approve of it. On the other hand, I will say, and this may come as a surprise to some people, though I totally disagree, and I condemn private companies for engaging in race-based hiring, promotion, compensation, job assignment, or or any other operational policies. I do not think the federal government ought to get involved and dictate to these companies that they can't do that. And I know that may sound crazy, and, and here's why. The market will sort that out. Now, I know we have laws on the books Civil rights laws against discrimination in hiring, EEOC, all that sort of stuff. But here's what I also know. Man, that'll get hijacked, and every little grievance will come up. See, it's race-based. I'm, I'm talking about even white males, right, who, let's say, lose out to a black female, just for, for example's sake, in a job opportunity are going to use this and sue the dang company and say, look, you can't do that. That's race-based. Because hiring is subjective. Now, when it's admissions, 
and the un- the universities, the institutions admit, oh no, we put this person ahead of this person in the priority of admissions simply because, exclusively because, solely because of their race, their gender, their ethnicity, their national origin. I think that's different. But I think you're opening up a can of worms, and I still just have this very strong view that government doesn't need to be in my boardroom. They don't need to be in my policy manual. I think it's dumb. Don't get me wrong. I think it's stupid for them to do that. I think it's abhorrent. But I don't believe government should step in and force. No more than I think they should step in and force DEI. I don't think they should step in and force. Let the market sort this out, is what I believe. And that some people may think differently. Because then the next thing is, Rhino, that I worry about, okay, well, if, if that passes, well, then we get... Someone on the left or some group on the left or left-leaning, left-state attorney generals, and they come up with some crazy thing, and that ends up at the Supreme Court, and that gets shoved down the throats of private companies. Uh, Like, for example, diversity on boards. You know, we've got in California, for example, I think you have to have a certain number of female representatives on your boards. They're seeking to add uh, race as well. Now, California is a state that is home to a number of public companies. And this, by the way, would only apply to public companies. And so the state is dictating to that private company what their board's got to look like. That's wrong. That's wrong. Illinois, I think, has also adopted similar policy. And now they're looking to extend beyond that. Initially, I think it was just general. It's like the NASDAQ. You've got to have certain diversity meet certain diversity standards in your board before we'll allow you to list. Now, that's a private company, NASDAQ is. They can do whatever the heck they want. I don't like it. I think it's stupid. I think it's bad. I think it's counterproductive from an economic perspective. But I don't want the government intervening. I I get worried. Every time the government extends its little sticky tentacles into any aspect of a private company's business, it's dangerous. And that's my fear of this. I get the premise. I get the argument. I think they're on the right side of policy, what's practical, what's best economically speaking, and honestly best for society. I just don't want government dictating. That's that's all about that. Uh, let's see here. What did Ben from Madison say? 100% agree. Government needs to stay the heck out of the private sector. Honestly, it was it was 2008. I know I've shared the story before. Is when I first got wind of Barack Obama's shared responsibility plan requiring or placing this series of requirements on private sector companies with respect to health insurance. That's what launched my interest in health care. Uh, pardon me, in, in politics, because of what that requirement was going to impose on my company from an expense perspective. I was uh, facing some very critical, pivotal financial decisions, and this was in the 2008 time period, and when I went and dug into what does Barack Obama mean by this, I got, man, this could cost me thirty grand a month. I'm going to hold off. So it's faith, confidence, and certainty is what drives investment, expansion, and job creation. 
Well, at that point, I held off. I said, I'm not making those investments because I'm worried about how this might impact my business. Most people at that point, honestly, Rhino, thought, this thing's never going to pass, and if it does, that Supreme Court is going to repeal it. And i got to tell you, I wrote articles. I started going to the pen and publishing stuff in some local uh, newspapers saying, not only is this going to pass, it's going to be permanent. It ain't ever going away. And pretty much that's what we have here now, 13 years later. Uh, And so we still have this shared responsibility. However, it only applies to businesses with more than 50 employees. That's why we have so many in the state of Mississippi who are uninsured, because they work for companies that don't have 50 employees, and therefore their employer is not required to offer coverage. We're stepping aside for a break in the Element Well Studios. Caleb Sailors, multimedia journalist, Super Top Mississippi News, is next. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone a little tears for fears on this friday bumping us into this segment with our good friend caleb sailors multimedia journalist super top mississippi news there it is. <laughs> very important gotta have the iconic <laughs> yeah I, sounds I, there <laughs> i hear this jingle 17,000 times a day. So I'm like used to it. <laughs> All right. Tell us what's going on, Caleb. What What do you got? What Palmer Home Radiothon yesterday. It was a big day. Yes, big day. Record breaking day. And yeah. it, it's really good, you know, for a good cause for the children and everything, but raised over $367,000. And, um, but not only that, though, you were there yesterday and we had other shows there. You got to hear the testimonies from the children, the staff, and donors and people who have been involved. And it's just, Really good to support and champion a good cause like that. And people literally put their money where their mouth was to help operations and facilities at Palmer Home for Children. I think it truly illustrates just the the generosity, the the, uh, the charity of Mississippians. And we're so grateful for them for helping us out on that day, on uh, which comes around once a year, of course. 2023 set a record, the mm-hmm. 11th annual Palmer Home for Children Radiothon for Super Talk. And it's really... An honor to be a part of it, part of the Super Talk team, honestly, because Palmer Home does just fantastic work. They, Absolutely. of course, receive no uh, no funds from the public sector. All of their funding comes from private donations. Mm-hmm. And people in Mississippi are so generous and reach into their pockets. Uh, and, and no amount is, is too small, as we've mm-hmm. said so many times. We had just a number of great people that – that uh, called in or went online and made donations, and we ended up with $367,000 that will be put to good work to uh, rescue, restore the lives, provide health and love, safety and I think to that's vulnerable why, children. I agree, and I think that's why people were so willing to donate, too, because they know it is for a good cause. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, what else is going on? 
Well, before I get into anything super important, I want to say uh, today is World Snake Day. And for <laughs> everybody, all the reptile lovers, the uh, Mississippi Museum for Natural Science here in Jackson is having like a big display of snakes. If you want to walk around and see snakes on display or hear a lecture about the difference between venomous and non-venomous snakes, you can go out to the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science until uh, 2 o'clock p.m. So you got a couple more hours to go see the snakes on display, like out in the open, not like in the... Uh, cages and everything. Yeah. All right. North Mississippi, we were just talking about that. They announced some layoffs yesterday, mm-hmm. but I can't find the details of exactly how many. Do you know? No. You guys know? I don't know, but they said they'll be announcing, the, they've announced the layoffs, but they'll be um, laying off the employees in the coming weeks, and they cited financial reasons, yeah. you know, increasing cost in labor and supplies and everything. And, you know, Mississippi is the front and forth, excuse me, is on the forefront of the you know national hospital crisis. We see What's been happening to hospitals statewide, having financial issues, having to scale down their services, lay off employees. And North Mississippi Health Services isn't the first one in the state. We've seen Greenwood LaFleur scale down their services. We've seen other hospitals in the state. But it's just, I guess, inflation, rising costs are hurting these hospitals and systems. Yeah, I'm wondering, wondering about that because, we, you know, we hear that there's shortage of workers, health care workers. So that mm-hmm. doesn't really square that in, an, uh, in a period where we're hearing so many of the health care institutions complain about not being able to secure sufficient staff to conduct appropriate level of operations and staffing. And now all of a sudden they let people go. So I don't get it. We, we can't get any more information at no this point. More, no more information as of now. Wow. Okay. So we also had uh, KPC Promise uh, Hospital. Um, it's more of a In recovery Vicksburg. sort of facility, mm-hmm. right? Uh, once, you're, once you've completed your, your, um, your hospital stay and your, your I guess, discharge mm-hmm. from the acute care hospital, and then you may stay there for mm-hmm. additional... Uh, recovery treatment and services. Apparently, they couldn't pay the bill, couldn't Mm-mm. pay the rent no. right Mm-mm. to merit, mm-hmm. and so the, I guess they got evicted. Mm-hmm. Is what I understand. So that's caused havoc with patients that were in the uh, facility and and staff and so forth. Just a just a big old mess. We've been talking about Brandon Presley seems to be focusing on health care mm-hmm. as a campaign topic. He's been focusing on health care, and uh, recently you saw on Monday he unveiled his health care policy, and of that, you know, one of the big things people are championing, we've had a lot of medical experts on this show, and uh, we've had even Brandon Presley now in his campaign saying he wants to expand Medicaid coverage in Mississippi and thinks that would be something that would help hospitals in the state, and he even went as so far to say that he would replace the head of the Division of Medicaid in Mississippi, Drew Snyder, and I know you commented on the matter, too, but they got into a little bit of a clash with the current governor's office because, you know, Presley pretty much accused Snyder of being a political hack and said he would replace him with an actual person with a background in health care. Well, Governor Reeves's staff responded to us, actually, and said that, you know, they think that Snyder's doing a great job and they're thankful for his service to Mississippi. And so there's a little bit of an issue there between the two candidates clashing on that. But, yes, Presley is um, campaigning on giving more money to hospitals through Medicaid services. Yeah, and honestly, I, I thought the um, the attack on Drew was totally inappropriate and, and honestly beneath the dignity, in my view, of uh, a person running for governor. Uh, just my opinion. And uh, I, I did uh, 
go to my social media accounts to express my disapproval mm-hmm. of that comment and also to compliment and to offer some praise to Drew Snyder. That is a very difficult job. It may be arguably the most challenging agency head job in the in the country, in the state, and, in the state. And now they're they just restarted their process of, you know, reviewing the eligibility of people on Medicaid too. So in the June renewal months, we had over 29,000 Medicaid recipients uh un- disenrolled from the program yep. and they expect more to come soon and um we had recently had um trying to think who was on it was either your show or on Gallo that said that he expects up to 150,000 could yeah. be disenrolled by the end of the year. And I think that's a fairly easy extrapolation because if you look at the number we had on the rolls uh, before the law was passed in, in March of 2020, which required the continuous mm-hmm. enrollment in exchange for an increase in the federal dollars because of COVID, uh, where we were at that point with respect to the number of Mississippians on Medicaid and where we are now, yeah, it comes out to about 150,000, mm-hmm. somewhere between 100 and 150,000 uh, higher figure. So I think that stands to reason that's about the number we could expect it, that would be disenrolled. And that was Bob Anderson, the head of MDHS, who oh, said that, okay. too. So okay. came from He's a credit, yes, yeah. a reputable source who said that. But, yeah, it, it stands to reason more as you – start to review eligibility, those who are just kind of automatically eligible because of the pandemic, because of the public health emergency, which is no longer in order now, it's naturally going to happen that way, that you're going to have disenrollments. Yeah, so April 1 is when the federal government said, look, um, you Medicaid programs in the 50 states, you've got to start disenrolling people Mm -hmm. uh, who are no longer eligible because the continuous enrollment provision that was implemented in March of 20." is expiring. And by the way, we're going to pair back the federal match mm-hmm. as well, the 6.2% increase. That phases out uh, for the rest of the year. So we will get less money from the federal government. Therefore, we don't have as much to uh, to cover the expenses of the continuous enrollment provision, uh, uh, numbers of people that were added to our roles. So, yeah, got to do that in order to make ends meet. Absolutely. Yeah. And on the sports side of things, um, you and I are both familiar with the Grove Collective, the NIL Ole Miss-based entity. Uh, well, the Grove Collective joined an alliance literally called the Collective Alliance. They're alongside Georgia, Tennessee, Florida State, USC, Penn State, and Michigan. So all historic programs need to see Ole Miss as a part of that. Well, as Congress is still kind of coming up with uniform laws, NIL laws. They haven't voted on anything yet, but we've had Senator Roger Wicker talk about how he's trying to introduce NIL laws, trying to regulate it, put a salary cap in place and everything. Well, these schools are coming together in their alliance to formulate a plan to help compensate student athletes, but in like a matter that benefits all universities Mm. in the country. Because, you know, you and I have talked about this, you know, off the record about how much money these student athletes are making. Well, the NCAA looks like they're moving towards a revenue-sharing model, which could become problematic. Ooh. And yes, and Walker Jones from the Grove Collective said they want to give, like, go that route, but without having the student athletes become like employees of the university, so they're not regulated in that capacity. Interesting. Well, we'll see how all that develops. Uh, my personal opinion is is that ultimately college athletics will be privatized. I think we're Absolutely. well on our way to that. I think so That's too. What's going to happen? In fact, I don't think most college athletes at that point will even be students. They'll just be athletes. 
at that point, you're probably with the amount of money they're making now. You're probably right. Exactly. F- focus on that craft. Make make all your money that way. Absolutely. All right, Kayla. Appreciate you coming in and giving us an update. I'm sure we'll be talking to you some more. Good to be on, Gerard. Thank you for having me. You got it. Caleb Sailors, multimedia journalist, Super Talk Mississippi News, has been our guest. We're stepping aside for a break. Ashley Edwards at 12:05. Everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone it's midday super talk mississippi a very strange coincidence is we're bumping into this segment with sticks fooling yourself here on the television uh, in the element well studio uh they were about to do a feature on a new cruise ship and they were playing come sail away by sticks <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my gosh. You know how they'll uh, display the credit for the bumper music sometimes on the television? Yep. Come sail away by sticks. S-T-Y-X, the great Dennis DeYoung, who went crazy there in the latter years with the Mr. Roboto nonsense. And that pretty much ended their run. They were extremely popular. I mean, you look at the album artwork for The Grand Illusion, which Fooling Yourself came off of, there was craziness already there somewhere. <laughs> but the song, Mr. Roboto. Oh, yeah. I think that just went a little awry from uh, their rather iconic sound. Good group, though. So wanted to back up on some information I shared earlier about the rise in Medicare costs. I was wrong. I said 8%. It's Medicaid. I just looked it up. After I said it, I said, that doesn't sound right. Okay. Medicare, 17%. Social Security, 11%. So this is back again to something that frustrates me to no end, which is all these Republican elected members of Congress and candidates, we got to rein in spending. It's just radical spending. We got to stop it. I'm with them. Except, but you don't touch Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. Except, when you dig into the numbers and you look at the fact that our spending in this year is 50% more than it was in 2019. Four and a half trillion versus 6.3 trillion. It's all driven by the spending objects that they say we can't touch. This is dumb. So just compare that to your household budget. And you look at where all your spending increases are going, and you say, I can't afford that anymore. 
Let me cut out the stuff that I'm not increasing my spending on. That doesn't make any sense. It's not logical. So, presently, our deficit for the first nine months of the year, despite what crazy Joe Biden tells you, $1.4 trillion. You know how he, I cut the deficit by one percent. Well, so, extrapolating, annualizing that figure, which is probably not totally accurate because of the way revenues come into the federal government. Spending is fairly level. Revenues are not. They're a bit lumpy. And that's just because of when people pay their taxes and remit. So based on where we are right now, if you extrapolated, we're going to end up somewhere around uh, 1.7, 1.8 as a deficit. Now, last year it was 1.4, and the president brags about cutting it from the prior year. I cut it by 1.7, and that's some of that is because we've explained it. The first year, and obviously he's in his third, first year he passed a stupid American rescue plan of $1.9 trillion. So we had a $2.8 trillion deficit, and then the next year he didn't have another American rescue plan, so we had a $1.4 trillion deficit. We're already at $1.4 for the first nine months of the year, so we all have already equaled last year's deficit, which means it's going to go up. It's going to end up, I believe, in the $1.9 trillion range, and it's largely driven by the program's that both Republicans and Democrats say we can't touch, which means they're not really serious. What they're serious about is getting reelected and telling you what you want to hear to get reelected, which is, I'm going up there to raid in that spending. No, you're not. You're not going to do any such thing because you won't touch the programs that you got to adjust to rein in spending. That's I, don't your- I don't know why I'm reminded of the jerk when I think of government spending. All I need is this ashtray. <laughs> All I need is this ashtray and this paddleboard. All I need is this ashtray and this paddleboard and this remote control. That's all I need. All I need is this ashtray, this paddleboard, this remote control, and these matches. That's all I need. And this chair. Oh, gosh. Now, the CBO is projecting that we're only going to produce $100 trillion of additional deficit for the final quarter of the year. I disagree. CBO's never right, anyhow. But if they're right and I'm wrong, I'll say it. we got three months left, and we'll, of course, do a breakdown of that once all the numbers are in. But I still maintain we're going to end up with about $1.8, $1.9 trillion deficit, which is going to be a four to $500 billion increase over last year. And no, it's not Ukraine that's driving that. It's Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. Payroll taxes uh, and individual income taxes, by the way, revenues down by 10%. Down. And that's just because we don't have all that helicopter money out there that is producing the income, mainly from, and this I think gets lost a lot of times in the analysis, but it's the small businesses, the sub-S corporations that benefit from that, and their profit goes up, and that gets passed on to their individual income taxes, and thus they pay more individual income taxes. And this, by the way, is despite the fact that Joe Biden 
enacted legislation with this 15% minimum corporate tax, which is such a joke. And all that does is hurt, doesn't help. Also in the medical world, the private equity industry has been buying up medical practices at a very rapid clip. And guess what they're doing? Raising prices. They are building up market share. And there are a couple of studies that show that. Physicians, very, very few now, are actually working in practices that they own. That used to be the common model. Groups of physicians would set up shop in a clinic. Some own hospitals or ambulatory care facilities. And now more and more, we're seeing private equity come in, scoop these things up. They know that not only is the population aging, but they also know that we keep especially the ambulatory care. That's really taking its toll on the finances of typical acute care hospitals, which is why so many of them are trying to, the the ones that provide the overnight inpatient services. So much medical care now, it's a good thing, can be delivered on an outpatient basis, way more than a short 10 years ago, orders of magnitude more than it was in the 60s when Mr. Ron Paul said, oh, yeah, the churches should just pick up the tab for that. So this is this is a dynamic we need to watch. Now, I had a friend a minute ago, we were talking about health care, said, hey, we need to really focus on repealing the certificate of need loss in the state of Mississippi. I totally agree. Been crusading on that for probably 20 years. And completely agree with that. However... Just as Medicaid expansion is is not the silver bullet magic wand to to address our most pressing challenges in healthcare, nor is repealing the certificate of need loss. It's it's not a situation where, yep, that's it, that's the solution. Just do that and that fixes. It it's a combination of uh a lot of of initiatives and efforts and adjustments that are required uh, to truly address this extremely complex problem. My view is that I'm not so sure that the ship hasn't sailed on the certificate of need, the benefit of repealing those laws, and here's why I say that. I don't think you would see a major investment in health care that facilities mainly is what you need there, and practices and, and um, just other expansion of health care that require certificates of need under present Mississippi law, simply because it's not lucrative. Come to Mississippi where we have the sickest population, the lowest private insurance reimbursement, and the highest percent of uninsured. Well, that doesn't sound very attractive. And, Rhino, you know that's a problem right now with health care professionals in the state of Mississippi. Why they leave the state of Mississippi? And we need them here. More supply means we bring the cost down. It's hard to get them here or keep them here, which is why we have exorbitant salaries going to some of these specialized health care professionals. Coming right back. Stay with us.
Weekdays with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. I'm in a hurry to get things done. Oh, I rush and rush until life's no fun. All I really gotta do is live and die. But I'm in a hurry and don't know why. Don't know why. I have to drive so fast. My car has nothing to prove. It's not you. But it'll do zero to 60 and five points. So uh, earlier, and by the way, I, I don't know that, that I thanked him, but I, we thanked Thomas in Greenwood for his contribution because we were calling on him yesterday. He's a he's a regular on the text line for the show, and we thought he was hiding, but we stand corrected. We we didn't accuse him of that. We were just wondering where he was, and we're glad to know that he is uh, a donor to the Palmer Home for Children, and we're so grateful to everyone who reached into their pocket and saw fit to do so. Um, May God bless you for that, for sure, because the children uh, will benefit, no doubt. And as Rhino can attest, seeing those kids in person, live, smiles on their faces, hopping around, happy, energetic, like kids should be. Man, they deserve that period of their life for health and safety and love and just fun. And that's what I saw yesterday. And watching the face painting, wasn't that cool when they oh, do yeah. that? <laughs> They're so excited with that. Just really neat. And it's it's a great um, a great thing this company does to partner with Palmer Home to help out the vulnerable children. And we're just so pleased that our audience for for donating and participating and, and helping out. Really appreciate that. The and barb- if for nothing else, I'm appreciative because now I can eat buffalo wings without worry. <laughs> <laughs> that, of course, referring to the shaving of the beard and the cutting of the hair as a result of piercing the financial ceilings that we had established for you to act in that regard. You left a big old pile of hair there on the floor in the room. <laughs> Um, So, yeah, Thomas also pointed out that there are states that have expanded Medicaid that are seeing layoffs of staff in the health care industry. That's absolutely true. The health care industry is broke nationwide. Medicaid, private insurance, it doesn't really matter. Uh, Even really prestigious health care institutions uh, such as the Mayo Clinic and the Cleveland Clinic, they're losing money. They're upside down. And one of the major hurdles that healthcare across the country is facing is during COVID, because there was so much demand for healthcare workers, you had a lot of healthcare workers that got raises. And the hospitals could justify that because they were getting a lot of federal money to fight COVID. Yep. Well, now that federal money has all but dried up, but the the workers still have those raises. 
and many, uh, I know several, just said, that's it, I'm getting out of the business. I'm not going to be in healthcare anymore, despite the fact that that's what I've been trained to do from a professional perspective. It, uh, it exhausted them. It burned them out. And they left the industry. They left the, uh, the health care domain. And that's, that's sad when you think about it. So, no, I totally agree. Just as I said, repealing the con laws, that's not going to solve the problem exclusively. And expanding Medicaid, no, that's not either. I totally agree. That's why I look at expanding Medicaid a lot like I looked at Biden's attempt to forgive student loans. You're putting a Band-Aid on a bullet wound without addressing the actual root cause problems, which means in 10, 15, 20 years, you're going to have to back up and punt and try a different approach because it's not going to actually solve the problem. No, it, it certainly doesn't solve the problem. I totally agree. Is it um, an element in an overall solution? I think you could argue for that. I mean, the fact is it would infuse a billion dollars of federal money into the state, and the state would have to hit the hip for about $100 million. So but they still have to render services at a cut-rate reimbursement rate. This is why I have asked, as you know. I've asked those who support Medicaid expansion in the healthcare industry, can you provide to me a pro forma that shows this is before Medicaid expansion, the financial picture, the financial results as documented historically. This is what it would have been had we uh, treated patients under Medicaid coverage that don't have any insurance because we didn't expand. They need to provide that information so we can make informed decisions about that. I've yet to see that, by the way. Nobody's produced that. I don't think you will. Yeah. So, uh, and, and, you know, the other thing's happening, too. You've seen some reports on this. Because they shut us down and they shut down a lot of medical services and treatment, we only going to take uh, certain patients. A lot of people did not go take care of and seek their preventative-type testing, and now that's coming home to roost. You've seen a lot of that. We're starting to find a lot more cancer, very expensive-type illnesses that have manifested because they didn't seek preventative treatment uh, or even maintenance-type treatment during the COVID. Coming right back with Ashley Edwards after Fox News and Super Talk News. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour three of Middays is now on the air from the Element Well Studios on this Friday, y'all. Joining us now, Ashley Edwards, coastal Mississippi entrepreneur, former president and CEO of the Gulf Coast Business Council, and, of course, Super Talk Mississippi news column contributor. What's going on there, Ashley? Good to see you again. Hey, good Friday to you, Gerard. How are you? Doing fantastic. 
So we wanted to have you on to share your thoughts, your insight onto all the crazy stuff we're seeing in the social media universe. Rhino and I touched on that uh, a bit ago. I don't know if you caught it, but back in my IT career days, anytime we'd see these uh, sort of market uh, fights, if you will, competition between the really big 800-pound gorillas in the IT world. We call that the elephant's ball. They just kind of danced around with those big feet, and you never knew what was going to crash every time they dropped one. But it's uh, it's kind of fun to watch. And often, uh, I'll shut up now, but often the market can benefit from when these guys kind of go at it like this. That can often be uh, the results. I think you're absolutely right, Gerard. It's great for the market, and um, it's great for the consumer ultimately because we'll end up with some better project uh, products here. You know, what's happening is really interesting, and Gerard, you know this as well or better than just about anybody. Social media industry is facing some real seismic change. Um, AI is going to be a huge threat ultimately to what they've built, and so the race to sort of integrate all these new tools and the race to fully monetize the outcomes, create these sort of e-commerce giants, you know, Elon Musk's vision of an everything app, which is sort of what why he purchased Twitter. You know, I tell people all the time, Elon Musk didn't buy Twitter because he just really wanted to chat with people online. He bought Twitter because he said, I need a vehicle, a platform yeah. to create the next iteration of what this is going to become, which will be an economic force. Yeah. And uh, you know, look, he's, Elon Musk has made some maybe missteps along the way. Um, I think he's got an overall strategy that's very sound, but it's difficult to get sort of through this startup period. Mark Zuckerberg and, and Meta slash Facebook have come onto the scene and, and really tried to challenge Twitter. But the interesting thing about it is it's not really a direct challenge or direct competition with Twitter because they're trying to create a different user experience, one which I find pretty boring. I mean, I, you know, they That's say what I've we're going to de-emphasize news and politics. And, right. Um, you know, I don't really care. I, I mean, I personally don't care a lot about watching celebrities talk about, you know, what food they're eating and what interests them and, <laughs> and all the issues of the day. So Twitter is still a little bit more my flavor. But, uh, you know, naturally what you see happening is this sort of evolution of this market. Um, you've had some startups, you know, um, Blue Sky, for example, or Mastodon that have tried to come online and, and be challengers to Twitter. And there are a lot of people that rave about the experience on there, but it's a, still a very small experience because they don't have the, the user base. Yeah. So the reason that this week, I think, was, you know, obviously so uh, monumental in the social media history uh, is because Meta, uh, through the Threads app, ended up with 100 million users in a week, uh, yeah. which is significant. It took Twitter about a year to, to reach that milestone when it first started up. And I think, Ashley, if you, if you look at uh, other companies who have attempted uh, to try to invade that space, Twitter space, for example, maybe they don't get quite the look and don't have the response of $100 million in a week because Meta, Facebook, is already a known commodity. People know of it, so when they see them saying, hey, look, guys, we've got a, a Twitter-like application now. They say, well, I enjoy Facebook. That's probably worth checking out, rather than somebody just trying to muscle into the room and saying, hey, look, we're different. We're better. And you're saying, well, no, you're just a, you know another, another face in the crowd that really doesn't offer me any differentiator. But I think Zuckerberg's 
he's successful at, at what uh, he does there. I mean, you can't deny that with the billions of users that they have. And the other thing I'll point out, Ashley, is when you got Meta and Twitter, Musk involved, uh, one's not going to money whip the other, if you think about it. So. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think anybody here has the inside straight to to be in the final social media app in the market out there. I mean, look, this yeah. is, and, and of course, I mean, you know, you you know this as well, Gerard. I mean, Facebook sort of peaked a few years back, yeah. and they've been sort of going through a season here where they've been trying to claw back some market share and figure out how to evolve. And it's been a little, they've had a little shaky footing along the way as well, and so. Uh, you know, I think what we're seeing now in the market is what we want to see as capitalists, which yeah. is different folks with, with real stroke in the market who are trying their ideas out, sort of evolving their platforms, getting us to the next iteration of what social media is going to be. I think one thing's for sure, when we wake up five years from today and get on our social media platforms, they're going to be a lot different than they are right now. I totally agree. And, you know, to to your point, uh, as well, when you you, you made the, the statement, um, Ashley, about uh, the, the impetus for Elon Musk acquiring Twitter. And it wasn't just because, as you said, he wanted a place to, to, uh, to talk or that he needed this business, which was failing, honestly. It was upside down. And it really never has produced any, any uh, I guess, respectable income, given the revenue that it generates. And the potential. I think it's fallen way short of potential. But there's something else in mind that none of us know about that he's likely going to leverage that technology for. And I think the same is true with Meta. Now, earlier it was this virtual reality stuff, right? And that kind of had a hit and miss sort of start. But that ain't over, as you well know. That's just such novel, brand new technology. I would also point out, and this is where I'm going with this, this was this was Jeff Bezos' vision. He he got started with Amazon selling books, as you recall. He created that literally in his office. You go back and read the stories of that, see the photos of him hovered around a computer creating this platform, which, by the way, still loses money, as you know. The e-commerce platform still loses money. But you got to think he's going to leverage all the experience, all the technology, all the capabilities that have, have uh, accumulated in operating Amazon for something else that none of us even know what that is at this point. And he's going to make a fortune off of it. That's my prediction. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, look, these are innovators, whether it's Bezos or Zuckerberg or Elon Musk. These are innovators. I mean, you know, you think about Elon Musk's history. I tell people all the time, you know, you have to – you have to think about Elon Musk in a little different terms than a lot of folks because, you know, his end goal 10 years ago was I want to create a, you know, a string of companies here that are going to be responsible for the largest market share of surface transportation on the earth yeah. and transportation to the ways that we're going to make human beings and interplanetary species. Yep. You know, he, he had a, he had a, a great sale of PayPal. Uh, but he kind of got run off by the board there because he wanted to take on the world banking industry with PayPal and say, look, we've, you know, he almost was moving a little too fast. Yeah. And so, uh, I never really count Elon Musk out. Uh, but on the same, same note, Zuckerberg has, you know, has led sort of this innovation of the digital world and digital commerce. And, you know, all these guys are, are dealing with a pretty solid foundation underneath them. It's hard for a startup to come in and compete in that space, but certainly these guys, 
Uh, they've got the tools to be very successful in what they're trying to do. Do I think that they're all going to come out winners? No, but I think that this is going to start to shake out the, the way that this social media is going to evolve in sort of the next phase of the market. So you just wonder, um, Ash, if, if in, in Meta introducing a Twitter-like platform, does this maybe sort of ease the pressure coming from uh, m- many in Washington who want to bust them up, say they're too big? And it's both sides of the aisle, as you well know. That's not unique to any particular party who, who claim that they're maybe a little monopolistic in nature. Maybe does this take the pressure off of that? I think it could to some extent. You know, look, I think that oftentimes what we see is the market sort of moves at a pace based on all sorts of variables, and and government just never moves at that same pace. And so what government's trying to do now is they're trying to catch up for 10 years of being asleep at the wheel on things like social media policy and disinformation and all these things that they have real no no real solutions for in an open society and an open economy. And so... You know, what you see is just sort of a lot of fumbling of the ball on government's part. And, um, you know, as always, I think the market's going to gonna lead here. You know, you want the market to clean up its act, usually give them an economic incentive to do it, and they're going to do it. And I think that that's what we see happening right now in the social media space. So it might take a little pressure off of them because nobody's got a monopoly in that space. And as time goes on, um, you know, you're going to see competition from all sides. I mean, I... I'm very sort of interested in the in the outlook of some of these AI startups, yeah. which, by the way, Elon Musk now has his own. Yep. Um, and the way that this is just going to completely revolutionize digital media, social media, really every part of our economy, but especially those pieces. Um, I don't even think we can conceive of right now. Uh, the impact that's going to have over the next decade. I, I agree with you. It's going to be fascinating to sit back and watch, and I'm sure we'll be talking to you about it some more. Thanks a lot, Ashley, for coming on. Gerard, always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. You got it. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. Please stay with us. We interrupt this program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk, Mississippi. in Madison. What did he say, Rhino, about your analogy? <laughs> well, he said, don't forget about the lamp and the thermos that Steve Martin needed in the jerk. And I reminded him, and I don't need one other thing except my dog. And then the dog growled at him. I don't need my dog. Which we can't say the dog's name on the air. Oh, gosh. That is great. We were talking about sticks earlier. Uh, we have We had bumper music here. On the show and also on the television in the Element Well studio, I've got the business news on, and they were breaking out of a segment and playing Come Sail Away by Sticks. So we had two Sticks tunes going on at the same time. And Bobby in Batesville wrote in on the ceasefire text line, says, Cartman on South Park did a great cover of Come Sail Away. I don't, I don't know that I remember that. Do you, do oh, you yeah. Remember? Okay. Good old Eric Cartman. <laughs> uh, 
Today on In the Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, he was kind enough to join us yesterday on Middays. He called in while we were on site at the Palmer Home for Children. You'll hear an interview with singer-songwriter Jeshua Marshall. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar is presented by VisitMississippi.org. You can hear the show each Thursday and Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. on most Super Talk Mississippi stations, supertalk.fm, and available everywhere you listen to podcasts. Podcast. And what about our friends at Sports Talk Mississippi? Where are they going? Oh, they're going to be at SEC Media Days in Nashville next week. They're going to be live from the 2023 SEC Media Days starting on Monday. You'll hear from the coaches, the newsmakers, and the newsbreakers as we count down to the start of college football season. And Sports Talk Mississippi's coverage of the 2023 SEC Media Days is presented by Genteel Apparel. Visit GenteelApparel.com to check out their full line of sportswear, including the Collegiate Collection for Ole Miss and Mississippi State. There you go. And I'm sure we'll hear from the boys at Sports Talk next week as they uh, call in and share with us uh, all of what they're hearing on the ground there in Nashville's SEC Media Days. And then the following week, we're headed up to the Neshoba County Fair. That would be Wednesday and Thursday. I'll be up there. I got a feeling we're going to have solid interviews. We may not even have an open segment. All interviews because all those wily political candidates will be at the fair appealing to the voters for support. Is uh, At that point, we'll be inside of two weeks until the primary day. And what a day it's going to be. We'll learn a lot about the direction of our state from a political leadership perspective as we go to the polls to elect all of our state offices. And that's going to be a fascinating watch. Moe says, just think how he could use AI in something as simple as your refrigerator. With an internal camera, it could learn what you keep in there and automatically order more when you were low. Already have that, Moe. Yeah, they got little things you can put on your shelf. And, Sensors. And it, like, you put a, so you got a bag of sugar. You put the bag of sugar on there when it's brand new, and it's like, all right, this is a full bag of sugar. And then when it gets down to a certain point, it just automatically reorders it. It's been around a while. Those That's actually not artificial intelligence. No. There's no training uh, of the tool, of the system. It's not, you're not simulating. There's a little machine learning in, all right, this product, when used by the scale, when it gets to this weight, we'll reorder it and... It's basing it on your previous order history and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, it's not true AI. Not to be argumentative, that's actually not machine learning. Those are parameters built into the system that the machine doesn't have to learn. You know what I'm saying? So you're not simulating human intelligence at that point. You're just setting up parameters. and, And you control that. Right. You can have the, you have the option of controlling that. So that, uh, it was one of the, the early applications of the Internet of Things. So if you think about your house today, just a typical home in America, how many dead gum things you got connected to the uh, the Internet? It's really pretty cool. Uh, I remember doing a presentation, Rhino, at Innovate Mississippi's annual conference, and, and it, I was asked to speak about just the, the future of technology from a consumer perspective. 
And I did some some uh, provided some analysis of where this Internet of Things world was going. Again, this five six years ago when that was really just starting to pop onto the scene and and uh, really take hold mainstream. And I read some reports from futurists who really track that sort of stuff who said that the the average American home within the next 10 years would have over 400, quote, things in it connected to the Internet, wired, connected. And if you think about today, you can go down to your local appliance store, for example. All of those things are connected or enabled. Most people have some sort of uh, Wi-Fi connectivity in their homes. Uh, You think about, for example, your streaming services on your television, built into your television. That's an Internet of Thing application. The television is a thing that's now connected. I still kind of question why you need a washer-dryer that sends a notification to your phone. Yeah, I know. Um, uh, pools, there's all kinds of pool equipment now that uh, tracks various relevant information and will notify you when you need to take action. Uh, my garage doors are fully automated, and I can control those remotely. That's kind of an Internet of Thing application. Thermostats, cameras, security, all of that falls into that basket of Internet of Things technology. And uh, it's, it's fascinating. But just as uh, as we were talking about, just basic household goods. You get down to a certain level, and it senses that and sends an order automatically to Amazon, and boom, a few days later. And where Amazon's trying to go, that day you get a delivery of a replacement, a replenishment of whatever that, that product is. So. On the C Spire text line from the 662, if my fridge starts ordering stuff, I'm going to be broker. <laughs> That's awesome. I hear you. I hear you. My wife has wet vac that needs Wi-Fi, and I still don't understand it, says Shane in Oxford. I just installed a new pool cleaner uh, at my uh, pool called the Dolphin, I think. And the app is my Dolphin, of course. <laughs> So I can control my pool cleaner <laughs> uh, from my app. My garage doors are connected, and that's through LiftMaster. They have Wi-Fi-enabled uh, garage door openers. And then I just did install a new Control 4 home automation system. I think I talked about that a bit on oh, the program. Yeah. That was quite the undertaking, but we got through that. So I've got you know, all of my surround sound and, and televisions connected, my whole house audio, my thermostats, uh, my doorbells I've got. Um, Alarm.com is what I use for my doorbells, and those are now integrated into my Control 4 uh, app. I've got all my streaming services controlled by it as well. I'm looking at the app right now, pulling it up on my phone. I mean, this is just fascinating technology. I think this is so cool. And um, having a lot of fun with that. Let's see what else I got. Uh, yeah, there I've got. i got one button press to get Supertalk. You see the Supertalk logo right oh, there? Yeah. yeah, it's my app. I can press that. Boom. That would play uh, in whatever zone I'm in in my house. But um, amazing, great technology in my view. And, and uh, this is going to continue to grow and expand. There's hardly anything, if you think about from a household's products perspective, that does not connect. Even um, pest control. You seen that? They're like little sensors you can get that will somehow speak to your 
your pest control folks and let them know when something's going on they need to address? There's Internet of Things application there. Really neat. Great IoT setup is smart plug with motor contractor wired into your hot water heater less than 25 bucks, says John on the ceasefire text line. That's cool. Yeah, I've got light control as well on all my lamps. I've got little little smart um, devices, Wi-Fi enabled uh, plugs that plug into the receptacle and then you plug the lamps or whatever other uh, electrical device. Yeah, those are that. a little bit easier to, to deal with than the smart bulbs themselves. Agree. I agree with Smart you. Smart bulbs are a little finicky because you, you have to leave the power to them on all the time. And if there's any disruption, you're probably going to have to go back through the whole process of, all right, flip it on and off, on and off, on and off four times, wait two seconds, flip it on and off two times, and then it starts blinking fast. If it blinks slow, you got to try it again. If it's blinking fast, then it's ready to be reconnected. Whereas with the smart plug, it's like, doot, 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 no, okay, it's there. I totally agree. And by the way... Um, I use smart lights, my chosen uh, technology for that. It's a pretty cool app. That, and I've got all kinds of Siri-enabled uh, macros, you know, set up where I can say one thing to it, and it turns on certain scenes, sets certain scenes in my house. Really cool. And then I've got Lutron, uh, the switches other than the lamps that are plugged into the receptacles, the light switches themselves. Those are all Wi-Fi-enabled from a company called Lutron, who's been doing that a long time. So. We're coming right back with ZZ Top bumping us into this segment. 30 minutes left on this uh, Friday, y'all, in the Element Well studio. Gerard Gibbert, going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. The Godfather says the clapper was the innovator of smart houses. Well, it certainly was an innovation in its time, but if you go back and look at uh, the companies that really invented all this whole whole house automation, there was um, two main ones, and I'm sorry to say that my uh, mind is drawing a blank on. One of them is called, uh, it starts with a C, the other one starts with an A. I don't know why I can't think of it. But they, they've been in that business a long time. Um, and, and, in fact, you see their technology in a lot of offices as well. Uh, let's see. I'll find it in a minute. But, there, I mean, since then, there's just so many other companies that have uh, gone into that business. Again, I, I mentioned I use a, a control force system, but... There, there are a number of other companies that make this technology as well. Uh, but, yeah, there's no doubt that the Clapper was an innovative product, and uh, it, it was something that I think sort of, maybe you could say it was a sort of a precursor 
of some of that kind of stuff, mainly because it was inexpensive. I would say Crestron. That just hit me. That was the that's the and so if, guys, if you look around, if you if you're in office buildings, for example, you'll see like in conference rooms, you'll see panels sitting on the the conference table or off to the side that controls all the AV in the room. Well, long before we had all the stuff we have today, Crestron was a maker of that sort of stuff, and and gosh, they've been doing that for a long time, but they sort of expanded that out into into residential applications as well. And let's see, I'm trying to think of the other name. The uh, Savant is another one, S-A-V-A-N-T. But the one that starts with an A, I think they may have even preceded Crestron. You don't see them as much anymore. Uh, very expensive as well. Really cool stuff, though. But since then... We've seen more folks come on to the to the scene and make that kind of stuff. Sam from Mount Herman asked an interesting question. Hello, Gerard. Having all your stuff hooked up to Wi-Fi sounds great. Till Wi-Fi goes down, now what? It could happen. Yeah. So, uh, probably the first thing to explain about that, Sam, is though all these devices that I'm talking about that are Wi-Fi enabled. Uh, they are controlled locally if I lost Wi-Fi connectivity to the Internet, essentially. So there's Wi-Fi and then there's Internet. But if I lost network connectivity, that would be a problem because those devices couldn't communicate on my local network inside my house. If I lost Wi-Fi connectivity, that simply means that I couldn't update some of the systems through the cloud or that I could not access and control them remotely. As long as I'm on the same network in the house with my smartphone or the panels I have in my house, which, by the way, are wired directly to the system and actually don't go through the network, I have a combination of those and those that are wired to the network in my house. So there's some resiliency there. But I understand what you're saying. It's not a lot of the entry-level home automation does require a Wi-Fi connection. That's right, totally Wi-Fi. They don't—they're not controlled by being on the same network, and that's kind of what's different about this. Uh, but I hear what you're saying, and so I'm not at that risk. And then, if like for I, example, mine—I've got the little Amazon Echo that I bought on the yeah. at the Palmer Home Auction several years ago, and I can walk in my bedroom and go, "Hey Alexa, everything." And it turns on the TV and the Xbox and that kind of stuff. And if if I don't have Wi-Fi, that's not going to work. But I can still just pick up the remote and turn on the TV. Yeah. And hit the button on the Xbox. Right. And and so and if I wanted to, if if for some reason I could not control my systems even through my whole house automation, I still have all the independent controls, like to turn my TV on, my receiver on, my. Um, I have a direct TV receiver in some places. I wouldn't be able to get streaming services because that does come from the cloud outside the house on the Internet. So AMX, just hit me. That's the name of the other company. So it was for a long time, if you go back and look, it was Crestron AMX, Crestron AMF, brutally expensive stuff. Um, and, but now there's been lots of other co- Elon's another one, E-L-A-N, Savant. I talked about that one um, the control for system that I have. RTI, Remote Technologies Incorporated, is another company that makes all that sort of stuff. So kind of going off in the weeds there, taking it easy a little bit. 
uh, on a Friday. But I love all that stuff. I love to program it all and play with it. And um, I, I just think it's fascinating all the things that you can control now with that. Just another example of sci-fi being a bit of a predictor for the future. Yeah. I mean, you look at stuff like Star Trek or The Simpsons, where you literally just go, hey, computer, do this for me. And well, we're not quite at Star Trek levels where you're like, hey, computer, give me food. And it spits out food. But we're getting there. Yeah, I agree. You uh, have 3D printed food now. That's true. You do. Um, Kevin in Monticello says, we sure have gotten lazy. I remember when I was the TV remote control. You know, I take a different take. Have a different take, I should say, on that, Kevin. We've gotten more productive. I don't want to use my time and my energy to get up and control the television. And think about this. Because we have remote control and we have Wi-Fi and we have all this other sophisticated technology, think about the choices we have for channels. Because in the old days on the televisions, you were limited to just what you could get on an analog Twisted circular channel, and/or the ad, the use of tinfoil and/or whoever had antenna. to stand there and all right, hang it, hold on to it. All right, move your left arm uh, right there. Stop. All right, we got a good. You, don't move. Well, I can't see. The, don't move. Yeah, that's totally right. So I, you know, I I love that stuff. I think it's fantastic and just a great example of uh, human innovation. Almost all of which, again, was invented in this country. Capitalism affords such opportunities and rewards the market when they do that. But there, you would not have the hundred channels you can get now for an extremely low cost from a variety of sources, be it direct wired cable or satellite or now the streaming services. And what made the streaming services possible are the massive improvements in connectivity and bandwidth. That was not possible if you couldn't have low-cost, inexpensive, high-capacity Internet to your house. wouldn't be doable. You couldn't stream video content like that. just takes too much capacity. Now, that's nothing when you think about how inexpensive that is and how ubiquitous and pervasive is high-speed Internet. Jim from Ripley on the Ceasefire text line chimes in with another example of entertainment predicting the future. Dick Tracy had the first Apple Watch. That's true. That's very true. I mean, it's pretty much the Apple Watch can do everything that Dick Tracy's watch showed in the cartoon in those days. Yeah, that's what kids are for. Change the channel. <laughs> Forget about, uh, what is this? Forget about tuning the antenna with a pipe wrench. That <laughs> made me laugh. I forgot about it. I'm sorry, he said. So when I was a kid, our TV remote was vice grip pliers. <laughs> Gerard, the key to your system is power, and I'm guessing you have uh, a backup generator. That is an investment I have yet to to uh, to make. Uh, of course, the key to everything is power. No electricity, nothing works. It doesn't matter if it's Wi-Fi enabled or not, or uh, control network controllable or not. Doesn't really matter. You got to have power. But I'm dangerously close to making that investment in my house. It's that would be significant probably this fall is kind of what I'm planning on, doing some more renovation, thinking about uh, installing a, um, a home theater you know, over my garage. I have, have space for it. When I built my house, just never finished it. Thinking about doing that. Whatever happened to the four-foot radar-looking satellite dishes, are they still around? 
the four feet one size ones, I'm not sure. I mean, the, the dish that works in direct TV, which are more like two and a half feet, um, yeah, yeah, they're still around. But the big ones that were more like six, eight feet in diameter, no, you don't need those anymore. Those those kind of preceded dish networks, which I know we've talked about in direct TV. We talked about that before. That was, used to be called Hughes Television. It's because it was Howard Hughes' spacecraft company. It was the only way you could watch any soccer on TV in the early 90s is if you had a friend that had one of those four-foot radar-looking satellite dishes in their yard. (laughs) You weren't finding it on cable. Yeah, that's right. It wasn't distributed on cable. You had to pull it off the air, out of the sky, essentially, from a bird flying up that um, would transmit down to your dish connected into your television system. But that's an example of just incredible uh, technical innovation. And then that got leapfrogged by streaming services. And that all came about because of the advances in in uh, connectivity technology and bandwidth. We're coming right back with the final segment on Middays. Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a journey record jacket from the 1980s, Gerard Gibbert, Super Talk Mississippi. Final segment, Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are appreciative of you joining us today and especially appreciative of the uh, the contributions our audience made, their gifts to the Palmer Home for Children, another great Super Talk Mississippi Radiothon in the books, the 11th annual, raising over $367,000 yesterday during the Radiothon and over $2.7 million raised over the 11 years of Super Talk Radiothons for Palmer Home. What a great cause and a great organization, great team of people. And I just got to say once again, Rhino, when you see those kids, man, when their faces are shining and they're smiling and they're having fun like kids should, seem to be without a care in the world like kids should, not have to worry about how they're going to eat, whether or not they're going to be safe, taken care of just in case they get sick, get to go to school, be around other children. That's what childhood is all about, man. And sometimes when they come from these, they come from circumstances where they're not able to be a child. And uh, that's where the Palmer home steps in and, with the goal of reuniting them with their families. It's not just we're taking them in. The goal is is to help the families through these difficult times and get them reunited and send them on their way. So we appreciate that. Let's see here on the C Spire text line. Somebody said, uh, Moe's, my Internet, Amazon Prime, and, and Fubo is less than one-third of what DirecTV used to charge me. Yeah, it just depends. I'm still a, a direct TV user. I don't care for the streaming services as much. Um, that's just me. It's a preference. I like uh, 
Well, cord cutting was a cost-saving way to get entertainment when it first started. Yeah. But now it seems like it's the manifestation of what people were asking for from the satellite and the cable providers with a la carte, where instead of having to pay through the nose for a package that includes seven channels you want out of 150, now you can pick and choose what you want, but if you pick and choose everything you want, you're still probably going to wind up paying close to what you would get charged for that through-the-nose package from the cable or satellite providers. You know, I believe it or not, I like I like the hard button. You know, I like the ability to hit a button on the control and go directly to a channel, and uh, that's not quite the same situation with streaming services. It's a little different. In that a little respect. bit, yeah. Yeah. So. Like, you do have stuff like Pluto TV, where it's essentially free TV. Yeah. You have all the ads that pay for it, and you can scroll through all the channels, and there's a channel for everything. But you are missing out on some of the newer shows, live sports and stuff like that, that you do get most of the time from terrestrial cable or satellite. Yeah, I, I agree. But it, it's not quite the same experience, and you are also subject to some buffering here and there that can be uh, a bit of a hassle, even if you have really great persistent Internet sometimes. You just have that. But that, uh, you know, the cool thing is it's choices. That's what makes the world go round, and you've got multiple choices now. You've got off-air, you've got streaming, you've got, you can watch TV without a television, obviously, watch it on your mobile devices, your internet-connected laptops and pads and so forth. You've got the traditional satellite cable, uh, all the above. Make a choice. I think that's what's cool about it. You didn't drop them when they took Newsmax off the air. Shame on you. Uh, that's ridiculous, honestly. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't care about all that sort of stuff. I, I don't mix my politics with um, uh, my television services provider, honestly. And I could say shame on you for using the Internet because all the companies that make all the technologies that made that text possible, every one of them have DEI divisions, are totally woke, and many of them follow ESG. I mean, that, that's just a rat race that is unwinnable. Um, I'm grateful that a lot of my customers didn't boycott my company because they disagreed with my my political positions. Um, you know, I don't, I don't keep up with that sort of stuff. Honestly, I don't, I don't worry about that. I, uh, I don't think that really moves the needle. I'm really worried about growing the economy here in the state of Mississippi. And, and honestly, the person I see that's more focused on that than anybody else in the state is the governor. And he had an announcement this morning that uh, I thought was really good about an economic investment that's being made. In another part of our state, we appreciate him focusing on that. Well, we're out of time here today on Middays. We will be back in the Element Well studio on Monday. Have a great weekend, everyone. Until then, stay safe and God bless.
Talk Mississippi Media Production.